0: All right, um, if you got a Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, that's where we're going to start. Um, so open your Bible, um, turn it on, uh, on your phone if that's the way you bring it, follow along on screen or use your outline that's inside the bulletin that you had when you came in. Um, we're going to go a few different passages today, but Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to start. This is our final week um, of our series called Overcomers. Uh, we've been joking this week that we're finally overcoming the overcomer series. Uh, typically we don't go nine weeks. Um, Next week, we're starting a a new series called uh, Rescued, um, and that's going to take us into the Christmas season, um, or our Christmas series, actually, um, where we're going to talk about the greatest rescue of all time, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Um, This week, we're finishing up... um, uh, a message about addiction. Um, last week we did part one, and this week is kind of sort of, I'll explain it in a minute, of, of part two. Um, we typically don't do that either. We don't, we don't do two parts. Um, I've noticed and I've learned over the past several weeks um, that this could be an entire series um, in and of itself. And so maybe one day that, that'll happen as well. Today, let me set today up like this. Um, I don't know if you've ever been lost before. Like not, not driving lost, but little kid lost. Like lost as a kid. Anybody ever been lost as a kid? How many of you are parents have ever lost a kid? I'll put both my hands up because I've lost them both. How many? How many of you ever lost a kid? How many of you on purpose? <laughs> Neither one of mine are in here right now, so I'm going to say that. That will be next service. I won't I'll say it. Um, do you remember, like if you were ever lost as a kid, do you remember that feeling of insecurity and fear and frustration? You, you remember that? When I was little, I went to SeaWorld one time with my family, and, and I don't remember the exact situation. Um, I'm sure that that I was looking at Shamu or the dolphins or the seals or a squirrel that didn't even belong at the sea park or something. I don't know. But I got distracted. I know none of you can believe that. Uh, I got distracted, and I wandered off, and I'm in this big crowd and stuff, and, and I turned around to to tell my mom or show my mom what it was that I was looking at, and she was gone. Now, in that moment, I freaked out, and I did whatever sane probably eight or nine-year-old would do. I just took off running, <laughs> looking for her in the opposite direction I originally came from, I think, and I couldn't find her anywhere I remember it being one of the scariest events of my childhood uh, now I had never been that scared because 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 when you get lost you begin to think irrational thoughts like oh my gosh oh my gosh I'm like somebody's gonna kidnap me somebody's gonna kill me when growing up if you're my age um, growing up the, during this time is when Adam Walsh went missing everybody you remember Adam Walsh I many of even remember that like, his dad started America's Most Wanted, the TV show. Like, that's, that's his son got missing. And, and anyway, and so it was always anywhere you go, your parents were always like, do you want to be like Adam Walsh? Do you want to get taken? Like, no, I don't want to get taken, you idiot. So why don't you stay with me? And so, like, I'm freaking out, but then that stuff's going through my mind. And so I started getting angry with my mom. I'm like, why is my mom not looking for me? My mom lost me on purpose. Like, what? what is she doing? Why is she not looking for me? Why is she not here? She's probably at the funnel cake stand, kicking it with grandma, eating some elephant ears or whatever. Like, where is she at? Like, I am all the way freaking out for like 15 or 20 minutes. It seemed like days for me. I never will forget that feeling of like like coming around the corner and seeing my mom and seeing, and like seeing her see me and run towards me. What it... What it felt like to be found. You know what I'm talking about? Like that—that that feeling of joy, that feeling of security, that feeling of of, of hope, that feeling of just like yes. And, and then I asked my mom, "I'm like, woman, where were you?" And I didn't say it like that, but in my head, that's how it came out. Like, where were you? Like, why weren't you? Why weren't you looking for me? Did did you want me to get taken? Like, what was going on? And she said, "Ryan, from the moment I noticed that you were missing, I looked everywhere for you." Now. Here's where I'm going with this, as great as it was to be found, as great as that feeling of joy and that security were, um, as as great of a memory as that is and how awesome that felt, in the same sense, I'll never forget what it felt like to feel lost and alone. Now the reason I bring up that story is if you're here today and, and you've ever wrestled with an addiction of any type and I talked to you last week very openly and honestly about how I have wrestled with some sort of addiction issue the majority of my life but if you've ever wrestled with an addiction issue or if you love somebody that's wrestling with an addiction issue then at times you have most likely felt lost and alone In fact, that's what the enemy wants us to believe, that we're lost and alone. That you're the only person on the planet who's dealing with the issue that you're dealing with. You're the only person on the planet who's struggling the way that you're struggling. You're the only person on the planet that has the addiction that you have and you can't talk to anybody about it because as soon as you do, they're gonna think that you're a weirdo and they're not gonna have anything to do with you. And and listen, listen, listen to me. The thing about the enemy, and I talk to you about this all the time, isolation and then destruction. He knows and he understands when he isolates us, he can destroy us. But he can't destroy us until he isolates us. And one of the ways that he isolates us is he, he starts jacking with our heads. And he gets us convinced in our mind, you're the only one with the issue. You're the only one going through this. You're the only one this is happening to. Nobody will understand, so don't talk to anybody about this, especially don't go to the church, and don't tell the church people about it because they're going to kick you out, and you're not welcome there anymore. Or, or, or if it's somebody that you love that's battling with addiction, he, he comes to you, and he, he, and he wants you to think that you're the only one that has somebody that's struggling with that. And he wants you to believe that you can't talk to anybody about what they're going through because then they're going to think it's your fault. They're going to blame you. It's the way you raised them. It's your fault. If you would have done this, if you would have loved them more, if you would have done this. So he, he wants you to think that you're the only one. Isolation, then destruction. But I've got good news for you today. Listen, it doesn't matter what type of addiction you may be dealing with. It doesn't matter what type of issue you might be struggling through. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, what you're wrestling with. Anything that we have in our lives, anything, anything that we have going on in our lives, we have the freedom and the ability to just take it and lay it at the feet of Jesus, and not receive judgment and condemnation, but rather compassion and forgiveness. He- Hebrews chapter 15, or chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, um, starts out like this: It says, "For we," and, and when it talks about we, it's talking about Christians, it's talking about believers. Those who are saved, Jesus followers, like whatever tag label you want to put on that. Those of us who have sold out our lives to Jesus. It says, "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses." So, so if you're if if you're like me. And and you understand there's a weakness in your life. Because trust me, I've got plenty of weaknesses in my life. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, Jesus not only understands, he identifies with us in that moment. Goes on to say this, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. In every way. In every way. So if you're here and you're struggling, you're wrestling with an addiction issues, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, exactly. What you are going through, because he's been tempted. Now I know this is where people are gonna are gonna say, and you're thinking already in your mind, he was not. He was not tempted the same way that we're tempted. This was thousands of years ago. He didn't have the same temptations that we have. He didn't have this and he didn't have that. I'm gonna show you actually he was, because so the Bible says been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he what? Did not sin. All right, and, and then watch this, because th- this is huge. Let us then approach God's throne of grace, not throne of judgment, not throne of condemnation, but throne of what? Throne of, throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to be in the mercy line. Anybody else? That, that's where I need. I need mercy every single day of my life, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, I've been looking at this passage of scripture all week and I've been thinking about the issues that I've wrestled with in my life and I've been reflecting on the stories that people have shared just since last week's message, like, like, like people really are trying to shake free from this addiction thing. And so I changed the message a little bit and so this isn't technically the same part two as what it would have been last week, but it's sort of the same because I started thinking... If I could really sit down with somebody who's wrestling with an addiction or somebody that loves somebody that is struggling with an addiction, like, what would I say? Like, like what would I, I, I personally say? Um, I thought about it, and I made a list, because I'm a list person, and I came up with 23 things. Like, I wrote 23 things out on my board, and I thought, I know probably going to listen to 23 things, especially for me. And so I kept at- editing it and combining things, and the Baptist preacher in me came up with five things, <laughs> all right? So these are five things, and, um, and listen, if you want a sermon, come back tomorrow or next, next Sunday, um, it'd probably be a, a better sermon. Th- this is more like a, just a talk, just kind of like a chat of things that I, like Pastor Ryan, would say. If I could sit down, if, if I could sit with you, and I could lock eyes with you, if you're wrestling with addiction, or you know somebody, there's somebody you love who's wrestling with an addiction, these are things I think I would say to everyone. And again, l- let me say this, because I said it last week. Um, the majority of what I'm talking about, if, if you've never struggled with an addiction in your life, and you don't get it, and you don't understand what it's like, then I, I honestly don't, expect you to get much out of this message other than I expect us to be a church that will walk beside people who are struggling with this, right? But but some of the other things you might not get. Um, So with that, there's five things that I would say. Number one, I would tell you I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, in order to set this up, let me share an illustration that I think we can all connect with. Um, Most of us, if not all of us, have experienced something in our life called Sunburn, right? How many of you have ever been sunburned? That's all of us, right? I, I used to work construction and um, we would get extremely sunburnt. We didn't know what suntan lotion was, it was crazy. Um, but I'm talking like the kind where at the end of the day you can't even put your shirt back on without it hurting. I don't know if you've ever been sunburnt so bad it feels like your skin is on fire and it hurts. Anybody can relate to that, if you feel like that? All right, that, that's what I had. One time um, I, got, I got sunburned so bad at work and, and I had these blisters, like like I had like eighth degree burns. I probably should have got skin graft afterwards. Like it was it was, that, it was that bad. Um, but I had to go to church the next day. And I worked at a church where you had to dress up, like shirt and tie and jacket. Um, so, so I had this shirt, tie, and jacket on, and nobody could tell anything. Nobody could tell that I was sunburnt. What happens every single time that you get sunburnt when you walk into church or work? What happens? Somebody comes up to you and what? Smacks you, right? Why? Why, why do you do that? Do we have like a big sign on that says, I'm sunburned. Come smack me and smile and walk away. I don't, uh, anyway. So a guy comes up behind me and he's like, Ryan, good to see you. Bam. As soon as he did it, like, I was just like, I I thought I was going to die. Like, and here's the thing. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know I was sunburned. I had on long sleeves. I couldn't see. Like, I just, I started crying because it hurt so bad. Now, he didn't know. Right? I mean, it wasn't his fault. Mary, um, this was like the first time I ever knew. I'm in my mid 20s when this happens, right? When this story's taking place. And legit, this is the first time I ever knew about this stuff. Um, We had been dating, and she said, Hey, I've got what you need. She had this stuff called aloe vera gel. Everybody knows what that is, right? It's the greatest stuff in the world when you're sunburnt, right? So she said, put it on. As soon as I put it on, my skin automatically stopped burning. It only lasted for like 20 or 30 minutes, then it started hurting again. But for those 20 or 30 minutes, it was like pure heaven. And so for the rest of the day, everywhere I went, I had that aloe vera gel. By the end of the day, I had used almost the entire bottle. Now, Mary, uh, guys, men, look at me. Have you ever, like, just looked at your... The girl you're dating, or your wife, and she looks at you and she just looks at you, and she just tilts her head to the side and just she doesn't even have to say anything, but you know she's thinking, I love you, but you're the biggest idiot in the flipping world. <laughs> so I got that. That was the look that I got. And then I got, hey, a couple things for you, Ryan. First of all, you smell horrible. And I did. Like I smelled like a walking aloe vera plant, which I didn't think was that bad. But honestly, I didn't care how I smelled because I just wasn't in pain. And she's like, you stink and you can't apply this stuff like every ter- 20, 30 minutes. Like you can't do. But but all I wanted to do was make the pain go away. You know what I'm talking about? When you get sunburnt, like that's all you want to do. You'll rub aloe vera on you all day long. You'll take a bath in it, baby, because all you want to do is have the pain go away. Here's where I'm going with this. If you have an addiction the reason i would say i'm sorry is because maybe maybe nobody's ever stopped to acknowledge the pain that led to the addiction like something happened like there was an accident or you did something or something happened to you like 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 none of us Like when you're eight or nine years old, you didn't say, well, in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, I want to completely blow my life up. I want to drink too much. I want to smoke too much. I want to snort too much. I want to have an eating disorder. You don't plan that. But here's what I know about most people. I'm not going to say all, but but I'll say this. Most all the people that I've actually spoken with, most people with an addiction, something happened. There was... Tragedy, there was an accident, something happened to you, you did something. And and listen to me, that's not an excuse, but it's a reason. And it was painful, and it was hurtful. And and the reason we use is kind of like the reason you put aloe vera on, on the sunburn. It makes the pain go away. And I'll talk about how that's not the best approach probably going forward as we go through this message. But as we start out, the first thing that I would tell you, For what you went through, for the thing that's causing you to to use, for the thing that's causing you to do what you're doing, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I have heard stories just this week from people in our church and from people who watch this online that have absolutely broken my heart. And I know they absolutely break the heart of God as well. So I'm sorry. Which leads to the second point is I understand. I understand is a big deal um, because there are a lot of the things in the world that I don't understand. So me telling you, like I'm one of the biggest idiots in the world. I am. Outside of food and theology, I don't know anything. I I, I legit don't. Like I don't understand a ton of things on this planet, like car engines. I don't understand car engines. I, I don't. My dad had the ability. If a car broke down, my dad could get out of the car, open up the hood, look under the hood and say, crank it over or try to crank it over or, or whatever. He would listen to it and he'd be like, oh, that's the timing belt or that's the spark plug or that's the – and he could fix it. Me, I got nothing. Like, I, I can pop the hood and I could look under it, but I honestly don't know if it's an engine or cardboard or – like, I, I honestly don't know. I'll be like, I don't know, just the flux capacitor thing you need to fix. Like, I – Drive it at 88. You'll be good to go. I, I don't I don't know. I don't understand. Like I, I like them. I like the Hellcat one right there. I understand that will take me really 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 fast. I understand if you have one, you need to you need to understand it's Pastor Appreciation Month and you should let your pastor drive one soon. Um, but I don't understand how they work. I don't understand yard work. Not not only, I don't understand this. I don't understand people who enjoy <laughs> yard work. How many of you enjoy yard work? How many of you? You enjoy, you're weird. Like, to me, you are weird. Me and a lawnmower, like, it's going to go bad at some point. I don't, like I don't understand how you enjoy that. I don't, I don't understand engines. I don't understand yard work. I don't understand people who love cats. Listen, me doing yard work while a cat runs through my yard is probably the closest to hell that I could ever get in my life. <laughs> there are some things I don't understand. Here's the point. As we battle through some of our issues of addiction, we think maybe, listen to me. Very few addicts feel understood, especially when it comes to the church world. In fact, we think, if anything, that when it comes to addiction, that Jesus is angry with us. But as we see in Hebrews, Jesus understands us. He identifies with us. And you know what? He understands the fight that we're going through. Now, again, you're going to say, well, Ryan, Jesus never wrestled with anything like I'm wrestling with. Again, it was thousands of years ago, and it's not the same thing. It's not the, let's look at that. Matthew writes, tells us this story. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there's a whole another sermon on that, and maybe we'll come back to that at some point and, and do that. But for today, we're going to keep going tempted by the devil, after fasting for 40 days. Stop. 40 days. Fasting. You know what that means? For 40 days, dude didn't eat. Can you imagine 40 days? If I go 30 minutes without eating, I'm hangry. How many of you know what hangry is? Sure you're hungry and angry at the same time, right? Like, I'm just, 40 days. I've had a couple of friends um, literally do this. Um, I know three people, in all the years I've been a Christian, I know three people who have fasted for 40 days. And it was an incredible spiritual um, event for them, and, and each one of them was doing it for a particular reason, um, and they were monitored and all this stuff, but but I know three people. People have always asked me, would you consider it? No. Let, let, let me give you the, the long answer of that. Heck no. <laughs> L- listen, listen, I say this. God, pay attention. Like uh, like I'm open to whatever God wants, right? Like I'm not going to say like I never would do. It. Like I'm, I'm 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 open, right? If God wanted me to do it, but I would need a sign. Um, I was going through some stuff like last week and some elders were, were at my house and, and uh, when we were talking and they were like, you know, they're going through this. Well, maybe you need to fast. For, maybe you need to, I'm like, uh-uh, man. If God wants me to fast, I'm going to need a sign. Like the sky's going to need to turn purple and I'm going to see need to see a naked Smurf or something run across it. Like I don't even know where it came from, but I told them and they looked at me like, man, how are you our pastor? Like how does that even Fasting for 40 days? Like, no, I've got to have food. You have got to have food. We want food. As I'm talking about food right now, you're wanting food and you're getting hungry. The more I talk about food, the hungrier that you'll get. You know why? Because we love food. I can't go 40 days without food. You, you know why? Hey, you know why I can't go 40 days without food? Board and Arrows would go bankrupt. Like, I walked by a restaurant the other day. This is a true story. As I was walking by, I heard somebody say, it's an hour wait. There is no way. There is no way. Listen to me. There is not a restaurant on this planet that I would wait an hour for. Well, the chef in there is world-renowned. You know what? The chef at Taco Bell is pretty darn good too, man, and I can have my food in five minutes. Can you imagine 40 days? Now, let me ask you this question. This is a very simple question. I'm not going to trick you. If you go... 40 days without food, probably the thing you want most in life is what? Food, right? Some of you didn't answer because some of you were going to shout out God. No, 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 no. It's food. Like that's the thing you want most. And so look at this, verse two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Let's talk about Jesus. He was hungry. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious Matthew for letting us know that. Verse three. The tempter came to him. D- doesn't he always come to us when we're vulnerable? Doesn't he? H- how is it that he knows when and where we're going to be the most vulnerable? H- how is that? H- how does he always and why does he always come at us at our weakest moment? It's probably another message for another time, but but for this message, think about this. He didn't tempt Jesus on day 10. He didn't come after him on day 20 or day 30. He waited until day 40. And then look what happens It says, he said, and if, right here he's questioning Jesus' identity, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, now don't miss this because when when people say that Jesus was never tempted with any sort of addictive behavior, don't don't miss this because the the temptation behind this is, is this. Jesus, meet your own needs. You don't need God. Meet your own needs. You don't need God. And as somebody who has wrestled with addiction, When we give in, we're meeting our own needs. When we give in to our addictive behavior, when we give in to that addiction, we are meeting our own needs. And we are essentially saying, God, I don't don't need you. And you know what? Just like that aloe vera, It makes everything temporarily okay. That's the temptation. That's why Jesus understands when we're tempted to use, when we're tempted to drink, when we're tempted to smoke, when we're tempted to do what we do, when we're vulnerable, when we're feeling weak, he understands. And look at this. I love this story because look what happens in verse four. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So right here in this moment, this is an incredible story because in this moment, Jesus defeats Satan. Now I had thought for years and I honestly had taught for years that Jesus was able to defeat Satan only because all he did was quote scripture. So all we have to do is quote scripture and we can defeat Satan, but that's not the whole story here. Now, let me say this, because you might be freaking out. Quoting scripture is good, right? Don't don't get me wrong. Quoting scripture, knowing scripture is good. But I know more Bible verses right now than I've ever known in my entire life. And I still battle with temptation every single day, just like you battle with it. The key, I think, the key is this phrase, if you go back to verse number one, the key is this right here, that Jesus was led by the who? By the spirit. In other words, he was in the right mindset. And in order to overcome addiction, we've got to be in the right mindset and understand when and where the enemy is going to come after us, when and where we're the most vulnerable, when and where we're the weakest, and then approach that from a scriptural standpoint. At the end of the day, we need to believe. We need to believe. We need to have the faith, and we need to believe that he understands what we're going through. Third thing that I would tell you is that I know people can be mean. People can be mean. How many of you know that? One of um, <laughs> one of my secrets that I don't want anyone to know, but I'm going to tell you today, for sermon illustration purposes only, it's not information to use against your pastor, all right? Um, but I'll tell you, one of my biggest secrets, one of my guilty pleasures, is that I like to listen to Taylor Swift music. Listen, don't laugh at me. Don't laugh at me. Don't talk to me about her politics or her love life or the fact that she loves cats or any of that. Taylor Swift songs remind me of my little girl Chloe, of dancing with Chloe when she was little, singing Taylor Swift songs with Chloe. And so don't dog me about Tay-Tay, okay? Just leave it alone. Now, years ago, she came out with this song called Mean. Um, I have a video that I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the chorus of it right here. If you know it, go ahead and sing along.
1: Someday I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever gonna be is me Someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me And all you're ever gonna be is me why you gotta be so mean
0: right why you gotta be why you got, how many you know that song? When, when, yeah, look at all the look at all the Taylor Swift fans. That's my people right there. Anyway, when <laughs> this song came out, like the first time I heard it, I was like, man, that song is going to be a huge hit. You know why? Because she hit on something. People are mean. And now that we have social media, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. The ones that get me are the anonymous ones. Now, I don't get these as much as I used to because when, when Chelsea was here, when she was our youth director, um, she taught me how to change all the privacy settings and stuff, and so I don't get as many anonymous things as, as I used to. But, man, I used to get stuff from people like I'm a Karen 27. You ever got one from her? Like there are people in this room. You have had a negative comment left for you for Amma Karen 27, and it will ruin your day. Who freaking cares? It's Amma Karen 27. Nobody even knows who that is, right? If that was you, please don't tell us that it was you, because none of us like you. All right, so because <laughs> you're mean, that's why. But at the end of the day, like this is the thing that that kind of gets on my nerves. And if you've ever been in this position, it gets on your nerves too. Like you're you're fighting through something you're struggling with something and 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 it's coming out and you and you feel like you're you're doing your best and and you're you're really moving forward and you're making strides and you're taking your next step and and somebody comes and and leaves you a comment and it just it just completely destroys you they either say it to your face or or they they put it on social media or whatever and it destroys you and somebody comes up to you and says oh you know what don't let that bother you you know what That's easy for you to say when you're talking to me, but let it happen to you, right? Now, how do you handle it? At at the end of the day, there are some mean people. And for some reason, Christians seem to carry the biggest rocks when it comes to throwing them at people. Listen, I I understand. I understand, and I should apologize, because sometimes we as Christians sometimes can be the most judgmental, meanest people in the world and none of us have a right to be that. And so people could be mean. That's why I believe with all my heart we need to create an environment like this where people, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, or when it happened, you can be accepted. Because look what happens in that type of environment. The Apostle Paul, Luke writes um, in the book of Acts, he's talking about the Apostle Paul and And one of Paul's biggest oppositions came not necessarily from the pagans, but from religious people. And look what happens. He's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, the Bible says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. All right. This is way meaner than getting a negative comment from Karen 27, right? Like this is this is I'm going to kill you. Like, we're trying to kill you, and that's what they were doing. But watch what happens, and this this is beautiful, and and this is what I want to happen in this church. This is what I want to happen in in this community, and and ultimately, I think this is what needs to happen all over the place. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Don't miss this. Everybody thought he was dead. But he got some people around him that weren't throwing rocks, but were extending a hand. And he was able to get back up, walk back into the city, and then keep on his journey. If you're here and you battled and overcame an addiction, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know that we have in common. We didn't do it alone. And if you're here and you're battling with an addiction, listen to me. You're not going to do it alone. You're not going to overcome alone. Listen, I know what you tell yourself. I can quit anytime I want. I don't have a problem. I don't have an issue. If those are the things you're telling yourself, you are in deeper than you know. And I'm praying that this church family would be a place where you know what? We're going to gather around you. And listen, we're not going to enable you because I, I would never enable a person. I believe in being honest and truthful and upfront. But I'm always going to defer back to, hey, what can we do to help you get back up? What What can we do to help you, rather than Oh, I can't believe you did that. You did this and you did that. And you did this and just Just get out. You can't be here right now. I hope that this is a safe place where you feel like when we circle around you, it's not to throw rocks, but it's to extend a hand. Because I've been around too many people. Now, I'll, I'll say this. For the past 18 months, many of you know, I, I go down to St. Greg's, I, I preach down there, and I teach a class down there, and one of the biggest complaints that they have, and one of the biggest problems they have, and one of the biggest fears that they have when they graduate is they're not going to find a church that they can get involved in. Because too many churches, too many churches say, we want to help. We're going to be a church for everybody, and we want to help, and we want to do everything for everybody, but they don't really mean it. And so they'll offer space. We'll have AA or NA or ABCDEFG meetings or w- whatever. They'll have the meetings and they'll say, hey, you come in the basement and use the basement for your meeting or come in here on Tuesday and have the meeting or Monday night or Thursday night, but don't come on Sunday. They'll show up on Sunday. Sunday we don't have a place for you. We don't have a spot for you. We don't have a place for you to serve. And, and, and I want you to hear me. That's a bunch of crap and this church is not going to be like that. We have a place for you. You're accepted here, and, and we want you to serve, and we want to help you grow, and we want to watch Jesus in his time make you into everything he has called and created you to be. Who else wants to be a part of a church like that? That's that's all of us, right? Number four thing I would say to you is your current path is not sustainable. It's not, now I know that sounds harsh, and you're like, you just said that you're accepted no matter what. I, I love you enough to be honest and truthful with you. Um, Years ago, a friend of mine, um, me and him, we were flying out of Indianapolis uh, to go to a theology conference in Colorado. And uh, we were running late. Now, this was pre-9-11. Some of you remember going to airports pre-9-11. It's okay to get to the airport late. Like, you could show up like five minutes before your plane left, and it it was okay. Like, they put you in a golf cart, and the plane was already taxied out. Like, they'd drive the golf cart out, and they'd stop the plane, and they'd bring out the stairs, and they'd let you get on. Like, But we were super late. Like, we were going to miss the golf cart late. And so I'm on like Interstate 465 in Indianapolis and I'm flying and I'm weaving in and out of traffic and I'm on the shoulder and I'm against the the concrete wall and I'm passing people and all of a sudden I heard something go boom. I looked up and my left front tire, like there were rubber chunks flying everywhere. And I just kept going. In my mind, I told myself, like, that didn't just happen. My friend is like, hey are you going to do anything about that? And I'm like, about what? And he's like stomping, like on the other side, trying to hit the pretend break. I'm like, no, oh, man, we're good. And the whole time, like I'm fighting the truck, it's pulling, sparks are flying all over the place. He's like, dude, you need to stop. You need to slow down. We can catch the next flight. I'm like, no, 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 man, we're almost there. We're almost there. And fortunately for him and me, we literally were almost there. We pulled off, and it's called Airport Expressway, so pulled off there, pulled into the parking garage, and by the time I pulled off and parked, we got out, and there was no, rubber to be found anywhere. I remember him looking at me and saying two things. The first one was, you're an idiot. So there's a common theme to this right here, right? You, you're an idiot. And number two, dude, that could have went really bad. And you know what? It could have. Had I, had I kept going with the tire like that, not only could I have caused tremendous damage to my truck, I could have caused tremendous damage to my life, probably his life, probably a lot of people, other people as well. Here's where I'm going with this. If you have an addiction, here's what I want you to know, and I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you as somebody who has been exactly where you are, your current path is not sustainable. And if you don't get help, if you do not get help, just like the tire shredding, not only are you gonna cause damage to your life, but to other people as well, to the relationships in your life, to your career. Maybe it's even gonna cost you your literal life. And I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm telling you that because I love you and I truly believe with all of my heart that God can deliver you. I, I do. I believe that. Paul wrote in Romans chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin, for the wages of our addiction. We give into that. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is, he didn't stop there. He said, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's the one who helps us overcome. Which leads to number five. Number five is a review of last week. Number five is you don't have to live like this anymore. If you're struggling with an addiction, if you're struggling with anything, you don't have to live like this anymore. I was thinking about this and um, hit me on Thursday as I was preparing this sermon, figuring out how to close it out. Um, I moved from Ohio to Indiana when I was a freshman in high school. And the switch for me was tough because I didn't know a single person and I don't, like I don't don't really make friends easily at first. Um, So there's this kid, um, his name is Larry, his name really wasn't Larry, but it rhymes with Larry and so for sermon illustration purposes only, we're going to call him Larry. Um, Larry was like a a third year freshman, You, you know what I'm talking about, like, like, had a full beard, dropped his kids off before school at daycare and worked seven jobs at night. Like, that, that, was, that was him. And, and, and he was in my health class. And I will never forget this. On the first day in a brand-new school, I sat down at my desk, and he walks in, and he sits down at his desk, and he inches his, his desk over, and he took his fist, and he just punched me as hard as he could in the leg and gave me dead leg. And I thought, well, what the heck is that? And I looked at him, and I didn't know if he was the teacher or not. And so I just like, I don't say nothing. Maybe he's having a bad day. The next day, he comes into class, and he did the same thing. And I didn't say anything. The next day after that, he did the same thing. And again, I didn't say anything. Finally, on the fourth day, I looked at him after he did it. I said, hey, man, what's your problem? And he said, I don't like you. And I'm going to hit you every single day that we come into this class. And if I see you outside of school... I'm going to kill you. So that night, I went home, and I told my mom and dad, I don't want to go to school anymore. Like, I ain't going back. And they said, why? And I'm like, oh, I don't don't know. I don't have a really good answer why. I just don't want to go. Move me back to Ohio. Let's go back. Finally, my dad, um, my dad is one of those dads. He had the ability, still does, has the ability to just kind of stare into your soul and just pull the truth out of you. And he's like, why don't you want to go to school? Uh, So I told him what was happening, and my dad, um, my dad was a a drill sergeant in the Marines. And uh, so my dad said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk into class tomorrow. You're going to look at Larry. You're going to say, Larry, you're never going to hit me again. And if you do, I will bust you in the mouth. It's like, you understand? I said, I can say all that? He said, You can. I said, All right. So, next day I went in, I just sat down, I just smiled. And literally, Larry walked in and he sat down. And he looked at me and said, What are you smiling at? I said, Well, Larry, <laughs> funny, you should ask, dog. <laughs> I said, Do you remember what you said to me yesterday? He said, Yeah. I said, You remember you hit me yesterday? He said, Yeah. I said, That'll be the last time you <gasps> hit me. I went on to tell him what my father had said. And you know what? He never hit me again. Because, <laughs> listen, no, I, I had permission from my father to tell somebody, I'm stronger than this. And I don't have to live this way. And you know what? You have a heavenly father that loves you. And tells you, you know what, you've been struggling, you've been wrestling, you've been feeling like you're losing. But the good news is today, no matter what has happened, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what is going on in your life, you don't have to live this way anymore. Chains can come off, addictions can be set free, and you can live a life of freedom because Jesus helps us overcome. The Apostle Paul, he, he, he gets arrested in Acts chapter 16. The Bible shows us that he gets arrested arrested for preaching the gospel, and he's in prison. He had been beaten. Verse 25 says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And then watch this. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains, everything that was holding everybody in bondage, everyone's chains came loose. And if God did it for Paul 2,000 years ago, he can do it for us here today. Because when we get focused on Jesus and we get surrounded by a bunch of people who will show us compassion and understand us and walk with us, we don't have to live in that addiction anymore. And if you fall down, we help you get back up. And if you fall down and you get back up, you keep moving forward. And as long as we keep moving forward, keeping our eyes on Jesus, listen to me, healing is inevitable. Before we pray, Claudia's gonna come up here and, and she's gonna sing a song. And if you're in this room and you're struggling with addiction, I want you to listen to this. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to live like this anymore. If you're here today and you're battling with an addiction, this church wants to walk with you and not throw rocks at you, but extend a hand. If you're battling through an addiction, you're battling through the shame that comes with that. Or, or if you have somebody that you know and love that are battling through and you don't know what to do, We've got people who, during the song, would love to talk with you, would love to pray with you, would love to pray for you. Listen to me, if you're battling with anything, I want you to know this is a safe place where you can say, I'm not okay and I need help. I legitimately need help. She's gonna sing a song called My Recovery and um, the chorus of this says that you are my recovery. It's talking about Jesus, you are my recovery. You're changing who I was to who I'm meant to be. And in this church, we believe that with all of our hearts, that Jesus is the only one who can bring change about your life. He's, he's the only one. It's, it's not the fact that you come to Central Church. It's not the fact that you have Ryan as a pastor. It's not the fact that you listen to the worship songs. It's the fact that, that you allow Jesus to work in you and through you and to change you. It goes on to say, healing all that is broken, as you wash me clean, you, you set me free because you are my recovery. If you're battling, struggling, wrestling with an addiction, I want to say it one more time. Jesus can help you overcome. You cannot do it alone. And today is a day that you can step into recovery. Let's listen to Claudia as she sings this song.
1: in your eyes, my feet are on the ground, my heart is beating now, your love has shown me how to live, you're my recovery, changing who I was to who I'm meant to be. step broken as you wash me